0: Well, we've been looking at the Book of Acts uh, through this this series, and it's the story of how the Holy Spirit built the church using the apostles and the believers uh, in those first early days of the church. And today we we come up uh, to chapter six and seven to a story of a man named Stephen. So, who was Stephen? I think is a, I think a question that we have to begin with. Um, Stephen was is most mostly known as the first martyr of the church. Uh, And that's absolutely the the truth, but I think his life and death are so much more significant than that. And so uh, as we look at it this morning, um, I want us to see how um, the Spirit deliberately moved through him to build the church, uh, to set the stage for the expansion of God's kingdom into the Gentile world on a, a, a global scale, and I think also offer us some instruction in regards to what it means to live a holy life, how to respond in moments of crisis, in moments of chaos, and in moments of disorder. I think possibly that could be relevant today. So who was he? So the first introduction that we get to Stephen uh, is from Luke, and he's... He's spoken of as one of the seven people who were ordained by the apostles in order to care for the widows that were being neglected in the distribution of food. So the scriptures tell us, and I encourage you, uh, Mr. Bennett read for us the, the end of the story, um, and it's really a couple chapters long, and so if we took the time to read it all this morning, uh, there wouldn't be any, any room for, for any commentary on it, which might be okay, but... I encourage you this week, go back and read uh, chapters 6 and 7 and get the full story uh, as we as we just kind of hit some of the wave tops this morning. But where Luke introduces us to Stephen is the it says the Hellenists were complaining that the Hebrews were not feeding the widows well enough. So the Hellenists, most likely Greek-speaking Jews, uh, came in and said, Hebrews, right, God's chosen nation, was neglecting their duties. They they weren't doing their job well enough. And so the response to this was that the apostles appointed seven people who would be specifically in charge of ensuring that the widows were taken care of. And they selected among them Stephen because he was reputable, he was trustworthy, and so he was given the job to care for for these women. Now, it's worth saying, I don't think at all that this means that his other duties were no longer his responsibility, because certainly throughout the story, we're gonna see that it's his teaching that gets him in trouble, not, not the way that he gave food to the widows. So certainly he still did his other jobs, right? He was still, he was still teaching, he was taking care of, of widows, he was doing all of these kinds of things. But Stephen was a teacher that, that's noted by scripture as being full of the spirit. He was full of wisdom. He was full of grace, full of power, He's full of a lot of things. But we have this godly man that scripture says did great wonders and signs among the people. So we start getting this understanding about who this man was. So think about all that this means. He was an effective minister to those who were searching right? because he was a spirit-filled teacher. He demonstrated mercy and compassion on those who were oppressed or unable to help themselves. That's why he was selected to take care of widows. He spoke truth that helped people understand who God is, where there was nothing but questions and confusion, which is what's going to get him in trouble here in a minute. And so we have this great minister of the gospel who was engaged not only with scripture, not only with our sacred texts, not only with with teaching, but also the sufferings and needs of people. A guy that you could say just had the bases covered. He had every part of Christian ministry he was doing. And so we have this great example in him about what kind of believer uh, we are to be. I don't I don't know that we can just say, well, I'm responsible for this area or that area, but that we are, in fact, responsible for the church. Now, it's not really common practice today to to say that the church is going to be responsible for taking care of widows because widows don't really experience the kind of economic uh, suffering that they did um, back in a culture where, where they were tied into the family through the man though certainly there are widows among us who need help. But maybe think more like what is our responsibility to maybe visiting our shut-ins or visiting those that are sick and in the hospital or how we minister to the families of those who are deployed. Maybe we can think of it in this way. Maybe that's more culturally accurate today. So how do we live? How do we engage as believers in this time? Certainly these qualities that were listed about Stephen were, were true. So we had this great, effective, compassionate, wise, powerful leader in the, in the early church. But, but his life, I think, was even more than this. Historically, his life very much mattered for us sitting here today. The, the theologian John Stott argues, and I think that I agree with him, that there were really four... Um, four events that initiated the global church expansion to the gentile world and those were stephen being martyred philip the evangelist doing his big evangelism moment that we read about in a couple chapters the conversion of saul the pharisee and the conversion of cornelius the centurion so really he makes the argument that these four events are the things that really propel the work of the early apostles and the early church to the Gentile world that causes global expansion, that trickle-down effect ends up to you and I sitting here today. Now, all four of these are great stories in and of themselves, and we can see great examples of how the Holy Spirit is working through the lives of each of these people. And we're going to get to some of those other stories in subsequent weeks in this this sermon series, but this morning, we're just going to look at Stephen. Stephen. The first among them is Stephen. And I think historically why his martyrdom is important is because this is the event that really caused the apostles to scatter throughout Judea and Samaria. So, the gospel, of course, goes with them. As as Christians begin getting truly oppressed and now martyred even, they scatter and take with them the good news of Jesus Christ. Also, We read later in the New Testament that Saul, who was there, uh, Mr. Bennett read this morning, Saul, who was there and observed this, and even at the time gave his his approval of this event, was very much impacted uh, by this. There was a profound influence that this event had on Saul, who later becomes Paul. So here we have this perfect example of what a Christ follower ought to be. A spirit-filled believer who does the work of God in the physical lives of those around him while also speaking truth of God to teach others and bring them to faith in our Lord. And his tragic death occurs in such a perfect time in order to launch a series of events that bring the the gospel of Christ to the globe, to the whole known world. It's a truly meaningful story. Now, where we pick up our story is, is in a world where the Jewish believers, Pharisees, Sadducees, this group of, of people that, are, that, that consider themselves religious leaders, are starting to recognize in the world around them some things that make them uncomfortable. Now, this morning, I, I am not one of those guys that says, I'm going to look to the world and figure out cultural events, and then I'm going to find a scripture that supports them and go preach to them to my people so they know how to live their life this week. I'm not that guy. The way that I was taught when I went to seminary was you preach the word. And if people happen to make correlation between the word and where they live today, great. I can't help but read the story of Stephen and see so many direct parallels, if not mirror images, of what we experience in our world today. So I'm going to encourage you this morning listen with both ears one from a spiritual standpoint of what was happening in the church and what was happening with Stephen, and how does that affect the story of god but listen with the other ear of i'm an american and i see what's going on in our culture around me i think you have to engage both sides one of my theological forefathers said there is no there is no gospel other than the social gospel and so i think we have to pay attention to what's happening in our culture, what's happening in our world, and we have to engage our faith in order to know how to respond. So I'm going to take a tactical pause at a couple of places and say, okay, now engage the, I'm hearing this as an American ear, but I'm going to let you do your own work to figure out what that means. Some construction, some assembly is going to be required this morning. So the Jewish believers, the Jewish, the Jewish leaders were looking at this world where there were changes happening and they became a little uncomfortable with the growing movement, right? What's the growing movement? So Jesus happened and he had some followers that continued his teaching. People like Stephen doing great signs, miracles, and wonders, right? Things that they should be pretty excited about, right? God is doing great things, but they weren't quite sure about this Jesus character yet. This was, this was a, a thing that was aside from the faith and traditions that they had established. So there was this growing movement that the religious leaders were a little uncomfortable about. And we'll get into that a little more. But one of the things that also came along with it was there was this apparent disregard for their authority from the apostles. Because they were denying a very important part of the message, right? And so the apostles were pushing back, saying, no, no. Jesus taught this. So so there was a growing movement coupled with a disregard for their authority that made them quite uncomfortable. And so we're going to talk about how they responded to that. So these Jewish leaders were troubled. I think primarily because the early church was speaking out against the system that they were comfortable with because they were an unquestionable authority that had total control of the lives that were subordinate to them. Think about it. They were in charge, the Jewish leaders were in charge of all things. Distribution of aid to those who were in need, approval and sanctioning of spiritual rights, declarations of cleanness and holiness, the collection of money in the temple in the name of God to use however they saw fit and a litany of other things the religious leaders orchestrated the spiritual lives of everyone in that nation they had total control over if you were clean if you were holy what if your animal if your sacrifice was worthy or appropriate or if you needed to go get another one all of it even the teachings were totally under their control And so they were troubled because now here's this group of people coming in saying that they had a new order. There's a new system. There's a new way of doing things here. Jesus brought the fulfillment of what your system is supposed to be. And that's worrisome because they were being replaced by something that they could no longer control. Grace and mercy were dispensed at the will of another. Not by themselves. Rights were freely given to anyone who believes. Regardless of what they provided for a sacrifice, all were made clean. Whether you were born Jew or Gentile, whether you had been circumcised or not, all were welcome. You did not need to be a part of their kind in order to receive the good things of God. All were being welcomed, all were being saved. All were being forgiven and cared for, and on and on. There was a credible threat to the way of life of these religious leaders and their sacred, long-held beliefs. And they experienced a great deal of emotion because of it. Hatred, anger, jealousy, fear... So what they do? We read the story. So they see this going on and they arrest Stephen. Why Stephen? Why not one of the other six that were appointed to take care of widows? Why not one of the, the twelve apostles? Why not? I don't have a great answer. I guess it's a place to start. Who knows? but they arrest Stephen. And upon his arrest, they argued with him. They said, who are you? What are you? What are you doing teaching these things? Tell me what you're all about. What are the signs and miracles and wonders? Like, you're upsetting us here. Explain yourself, Stephen. And the scripture says that he explained and he defended himself with such perfect wisdom. They couldn't refute his arguments. Should be in the story, right? Well he explained himself so perfectly that we can't, as the spiritual leaders who have our scriptures memorized inside and out, we can't argue with him, so I guess we're good. Right? That's That's how rational debate goes. You come to a place where you can't beat the argument, and so you accept it. You say, okay, you've bested me. Got it. Or maybe you agree to disagree. I don't know. But that's not what occurred. He argued with such perfect, legitimate wisdom that they couldn't refute it. When they couldn't hold their own against him, because he was filled with the Spirit and speaking his truth, they moved on to smear tactics. Right? Continue reading the story. It says, they instigated people to tell lies. Now, let me pause for a second in the story, because here's a spiritual truth that's important for us to all understand. The Holy Spirit will equip you for whatever it is that God calls you to accomplish. Maybe even some of my favorite things, right? It's like, not necessarily that God or the Holy Spirit will equip you, but sometimes he just does a complete takeover. Hopefully, hopefully it's not a hostile takeover. Like some of my favorite moments of ministry are when somebody comes before me with some issue, some problem, some thing that they need counsel or wisdom or instruction. And upon hearing it, I'm like, holy smokes, how am I ever going to respond to this? And then like a flash in a pan, I'm at the end of the conversation and some kind of incredibly great wisdom has come out of my mouth that I don't, I didn't come up with. My mind did not generate that. Clearly, God took over. His Spirit spoke through me the words of truth and life that they needed to hear. He does that. That is one of the the ministries of the Holy Spirit. Is that He speaks through you what God needs people to hear. And I have to feel like this was one of those moments for Stephen. Are you living closely enough to God? That in those moments, he just takes over your lips. lives so connected to God that he has total access to your thoughts, your actions, your speech. So that's what Stephen did. But the Jewish leaders, however, they had different plans. So they resorted to this smear tactic, right? So... We couldn't best him because he's too wise, so let's just start making up lies. Not only let's make up lies, but let's let's hire people to give false witness. So just in case he calls us out on our our smear tactics, right? Like let's have some people lined up that are willing to say, oh no, no, yeah, what he's saying, that's true, I heard him do it. So they start this smear campaign. He's a blasphemer, they cried. They even went as far to line up witnesses that said he taught against Moses and the law of the prophets. Even is going as far as to say he was going to change their customs. Now, this is my favorite part. (laughs) This is my favorite part. So it says that after they said that, right, he's even going as far as to change the, the customs that Moses gave us. It says they looked intently at Stephen. So picture this scene, right? So here's Stephen standing there, and here's all these religious leaders that are, like, accusing him. And then here's these hired hands that are saying, "Yup, yep, those are the lies that he told us. And then everybody at that time points, like, looks at Stephen to see how he's going to respond, right? Like, you perfectly bait this guy. What's he going to do? And it says that when they intently looked at Stephen, they saw his face was like that of an angel, which is pretty cool. But let me tell you why it's my favorite part. You remember what Moses looked like when he came back from meeting with God? His face glowed the same way. This is my favorite part because I think it's funny. Imagine if you were that guy, right? Your biggest accusation, you cry out, he's going to take away what Moses gave us. And then you look over and, oh no, he looks just like Moses did when he gave us these customs. That's pretty funny. We have a funny God. (laughs) But in that moment of humor, the Holy Spirit demonstrates to us that he has supreme rule. Go ahead and look intently at the man who's speaking truth amongst your lies. See how his face glows? I am with him. I think it's funny and awesome all at the same time. Second spiritual truth I want to deliver to you is the Holy Spirit will give your defense when you are in his service. Stephen didn't resort to their levels of low levels of deception, and he didn't call for a, faith, a million faithful witnesses to come and say, no, no, see, they're telling lies. This is the truth. He merely let the Spirit work Through him, speak through him, to give his defense. And so that's what he did. He spoke the truth. He gave a spirit filled speech, starting with Abraham, running all the way through the Hebrew line up to Jesus, with a very convincing argument that what he was saying was true. Maybe he took it a step too far because he resorted to name calling there at the end. Right? He made it personal. Look at verse 51. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you are forever opposing the Holy Spirit, just as your ancestors used to do. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? And he goes on and even talks about how they even killed Jesus. He brought it hard. He pulled no punches. I think the truth is he didn't really take it too far. Like as we read this, we're like, oh, he resorted to name calling. That's kind of when you fell apart, Stephen. But they understood full well what he meant because calling them stiff necked, calling them uncircumcised in heart and ears. These were rebukes that were used in Exodus and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. He was calling to mind scripture that they had in mind, scripture that they knew stories from history that they were well versed in. He spoke a story that they were familiar with. And it just wasn't welcomed. So here's a third spiritual truth for you. This one feels good. Sometimes the truth isn't welcome, regardless how well we present it. Sometimes people just reject the truth of God. His message was undeniable he walked them through history and I think it's important to note that he didn't walk them through history because they didn't know it they certainly did no he walked them through because sometimes you just have to stack stand back from the moment that you are in in order to see the grand narrative that's in front of you and to have an appropriate perspective about America for a minute. I'll say it again. Sometimes it's important to just step back from the moment you're in. Cons- consider your spiritual history, the truth that you know about God, so that you can have an accurate picture, an accurate perception of what's going on in front of you. sometimes there's things that we cling to that just need to be let go for the sake of obtaining what God has purposed what really matters little self-disclosure I had that little moment this week you're aware that the army has announced we're not going to use DA photos for promotion boards anymore this is in an effort to get rid of bias right I'm gonna be honest, my initial thought was, oh, bummer, I look pretty good in my ASU. When I put that jacket on, I look fit. And I know there's some chaplains out there that maybe don't look quite as fit. But quickly on the heels of that came the, oh wait, but there's other things too. Sometimes we just gotta let those things go. Is that really important? that my picture be seen now. Because there's all kinds of other information that sits before them that tells them that I'm fit. They can get that information if that's what they're interested in. And so we let that go. Just as one little example from the army world that we live in today. So these jealous Pharisees should have absolutely been celebrating the fact that people were being cared for, that miracles were being done, that signs were being performed, that God was making himself known to his people. They should have been celebrating these things. But the customs, oh, but the customs, they're in jeopardy. So I ask, what traditions, what customs, what things are we clinging to that maybe we should let go because it's less important that I have them than it is someone else gets what they need. Because I'm willing to let that go. What customs should we be rid of in order to allow God's dream for this world to become reality? Now, our service is limited, so I'm going to stop. I'm, I'm going to keep going with the sermon. But I want you to... Pause there during your week. Stop there and ask and answer that question. Please, seriously, answer that question in your own life. What do I need to get rid of? What custom? What sacred belief? What what sacred tradition needs to be set aside? For the sake of everyone experiencing the full love and peace and freedom of God and our nation. But anyway, they were jealous. They were angry. They didn't want to change. They didn't want to even open their minds to the possibility that there could be something more. And so the religious leaders became enraged. It it says that, that they ground their teeth. Have you done that? you ever been so angry that you grind your teeth? If you're a parent, I know you have. But for the rest of you, have you been there? They allowed their emotions to get the best of them fear, hatred, and the like. They ground their teeth. The scripture that we read this morning said they covered their ears and shouted. They weren't just closed minded, like they were taking active efforts to make sure that their minds stayed closed. I don't even want to hear what he has to say. Forget that. I am so confident that I am right. I'm not even going to listen. Have you seen any of that in America lately? And so when they shut off their ears, they shut off their minds, they shut off reason, they stopped listening to this man who was being used by the Holy Spirit, it escalated again to the point of violence. And they stoned Stephen. They covered their ears, they shouted, they rushed him, they dragged him out of the city and stoned him. And I don't know what you know about the tradition of stoning this 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 old school method of typically death, but it didn't always end in death. Really, what they would do is they'd drag you outside, and a group of people were there, and they'd throw rocks at you until you became disoriented and fell down, and they would keep throwing rocks until you were buried, and then they would leave, stoning complete. And sometimes, believe it or not, people would live through that. Most often, people died. Stephen is one who died. Right? So this is what happened. They threw rocks and threw rocks until he became disoriented and fell on the ground, and they kept throwing rocks until he was buried under them. Apparently, it pleased Saul. So let's just recap the story to this point. When reason didn't work, they resorted to a smear campaign. When that didn't work, they had to kill him. So there was an escalation of force, but it was from the other side. So think about this for a minute, right? We now, looking back, can say Stephen was quite clearly in the right. Stephen was not the protester, even though he was trying to get the system to change. Stephen was the guy that was doing the good thing. But the escalation of force came from the people who were trying to maintain the thing that we now know was absolutely wrong. So this is kind of a weird twist on things. So there's this escalation of force. There's this peaceful, reasonable discourse. A little protest. The manipulation of the truth came next, trying to control the narrative. And it ended in violence. These were the religious leaders. Where is the Holy Spirit through all of this? Why was the Holy Spirit not present? and these religious leaders So while this council that was meeting against Stephen was opposing the spirit, Stephen was filled with the spirit, confirming his prophetic role and message. The heavenly of heavenly vision of Jesus authenticates his speech, right? The history that he gives, the summary of the account of why he's doing what he's doing is confirmed. When the heavens open and Jesus Jesus is seen by him. The Holy Spirit is present in confirming to Stephen not only his correctness, but his right standing with God. What a comforting vision to to have before meeting the Lord. To see him standing at the right hand of God as a testimony to his faithfulness. Now this is interesting, right? We read all throughout scripture. This is what stood out to me as I read this. I read this story, I don't know how many times, but this stood out this time. As he had this vision of the heavenly throne, right? All throughout scripture, we see that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, right? In this vision, it said Jesus was standing at the right hand of God the Father. Does that matter? I think it's significant. Not only as a testimony to the Father that this is my servant, I'm going to stand in testimony to his faithfulness, but also standing ready to receive this servant who's being unwillfully laid down right now. I think the fact that Jesus is standing here is kind of significant. As we consider our world and the chaos that it's in, our nation and the chaos that it's in, I wonder... I wonder who Jesus is standing for as a testimony to their faithfulness. You see, it was through his obedience that, and by allowing the Holy Spirit to take over in the moment of crisis, that Stephen started events in motion that would lead to the globalization of the church. It caused apostles to scatter, which was necessary. It began in Saul, a wrestling that would would inform the ministry of Paul. It demonstrated to religious leaders that they were no longer in control of faith, but that in fact that was a thing that belonged to God. They didn't kill it with Jesus. They weren't going to kill it with Stephen. The Holy Spirit was going to carry that on throughout centuries of the church. What they perceived as blasphemy was simply what Christ had already declared as the fulfillment of the temple and the law, and they just fail to understand because they couldn't hear. They covered their ears and screamed. And so my question to you this morning, church, is what do you need to hear? Maybe it's that the Holy Spirit fills believers to accomplish God's work, whether that's speaking truth or caring for widows or whatever. Maybe it's that some long-held beliefs and customs need to be released in order for God to be glorified. Maybe the truth you need to hear is that the wisdom of the Holy Spirit cannot be conquered by lies and violence. Maybe the truth you need to hear is that Jesus stands ready to receive the faithful. So continue to persevere. Maybe you simply need to hear that there is more to what God is doing than you fully understand. So you need to make sure that you're not covering your ears and screaming. I don't know what you need to hear. But the Spirit spoke it. Don't cover your ears. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning that you have given us your Holy Spirit. You you said on your, your ascension that it was good that you go so that the Spirit may come. And Father, after seeing the world and seeing the ministry of your Spirit, we now know and believe what you said. It is good that you have given us your Spirit. Father, I pray that you would open our minds, our eyes, our ears, that we would be able to understand what he is doing through us. May we be people who can do your work in this world because we allow the Spirit to work in our lives. May it be so. In your holy name I pray. Amen.